All right, find Hebrews chapter 11. Find Hebrews chapter 11. Pastor Kelly brought a wonderful lesson in, in his Bible study this morning. I was listening in my office uh, via the live stream, and you missed something if you didn't get on, in on that one. And he said to me afterwards, he said that the problem with, with that kind of a lesson is hard because everybody is so familiar with the text. Well, that's true. And this is a difficult text because so many people are familiar with it and they miss out on a whole lot because they know too much. Um, I find out as I get older that, that I know too much. I need, there's too much I need to learn that I, of which I'm unaware. And so we, we have a lot that we need to learn. Hebrews chapter 11. Now I have a question. Come on, exam time. Exam time. What is the main thrust and the main topic uh, in this particular text of Scripture? Hebrews 11. What, what is the main theme? Faith. That was a loaded question. Now the word faith occurs many times in this text. But I think there is... A theme which is usually underlying, but I think the main theme we find out of chapter number 10. Chapter number 10. Now, in verse 32, somebody read verse 32 for me. How does that go? How does that go? Verse 32. What does it say? But call to remembrance what? The former days. And what happened in the former days? Okay, call, call to remembrance. Wow, call to remembrance of former days. Now, look this way for just a moment. Let me give you a synopsis here so we can move on ahead with, with this message. Now, <clears throat> the writer of Hebrews is writing to Hebrew Jewish believers. Very obvious as you read through this particular book. He's writing to Jewish believers. There's so much Old Testament truth that is applied to New Testament truth in this particular book. So he's writing to Jewish believers, but who were these Jewish believers? All right. They were in a time of great testing and great struggle. Call to remembrance former days. But those former days went beyond the difficulties you read of in verse number 32. These believers, just look this way for a moment. Look this way for a moment. These believers were, many of them, present personally at Pentecost. Now, what was Pentecost? Pentecost was the advent of the Holy Spirit. The 120 were in that upper room, praying and waiting on the Lord. There came a mighty rushing sound, as the sound of a mighty rushing wind from heaven, and the Spirit of God came. And those who had never had seminary training never had linguistic training, were preaching the gospel in languages that they had never learned to at least 20 or 30 language groups that were present there at Pentecost. And not only were they preaching in languages they had never learned, but on that day there were 3,000 people saved. I would say that's quite a good meeting. What would you say if we had 3,000 people saved today in San Francisco? And so that was the first day. And the second and third day and, and the fourth day and the, the weeks following, thousands, literally thousands of people were saved. Thousands of people were saved. 
Remember, they went up to the temple and this fellow was sitting there and asking for silver and gold. And Peter and John looked at him and I don't have any silver and gold, but I do have something more valuable than that. What you need is not money. What you need is the work of God in your life. Such as I have, I give you. Rise up and walk. And he leaped and he walked. Dead were raised. Sick people were healed. And the work of God was exciting and thrilling. They'd waited hundreds of years for Messiah to come. He had come, he had risen from the dead, and the power of resurrection was in evidence by an outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God in what we call the advent of the Holy Spirit. And many of these people had witnessed that personally. But then along came this little, I'm, I'm going to call him this, and, and you're going to forgive me, Paul, this little beady-eyed Jew called Saul. This Pharisee, this member of the Sanhedrin came along and hating the believers. Stephen was stoned. And the persecution began to rage at the hand of one man, Saul, because when he got saved, everything quieted down. And the believers were scattered through the known world and went everywhere preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now they would never have scattered if they hadn't been persecuted. Amazing how the witness of the gospel sometimes requires that God gets our attention. And God got their attention and then it began that they were put in prison and then their, their, their property was confiscated. Some were martyred, not only Stephen, but others were martyred. Times had changed. Times had changed. And these Jewish believers were wondering, now what is this all about? Has God taken leave of us? What does this mean? And it seems that there's, there's no end to this thing. We, we can't see a way out. There's no exit out of this. So, I want to come to USA 2022. I was privileged to see days of great evangelistic meetings. The planning of churches by the hundreds in America. the prospering of the work of God and put prospering in quotes. The culture was largely friendly to the church. But times have changed. Times have changed. And times are changing. I look at the things that are happening, happening economically. Those who worship money are going to lose that and our country worships money and they're going to lose it. Believers are going to begin to pay for their faith in Christ. And for practicing their faith in Christ. We're in a new day. It's a new time. Now, let's take a look at verse number 35. Hebrews 10 and verse number 35. Let's take a look here. What did the writer of Hebrews have to say to these believers that were saying, look, are we going to stay with this, with this Christian faith? What are we going to do? 
because it certainly does not pay to be a Christian anymore. And we are the object of horrors from unbelievers. And in the middle of all of this, he tells them, cast not away therefore your confidence. Now that word cast not away literally, literally means don't throw away. Just don't throw it away. Don't throw it out the door. Keep it. Hang on to it. Throw not away therefore your what? Confidence. And the word confidence there is the word boldness. It's the word boldness. Do not throw away your boldness which has a great recompense of reward, a great return of reward. But it didn't look like that. Not to them it didn't. What was the return they were getting for their faith in that day? What what was the results that they were getting from from the uh, lives that they were living in in the work of the gospel? Now in verse 36... And here's where we're going to get the theme of chapter 11. You have need of patience. You have need of patience. The word patience here (coughs) does not mean patience in the sense of a temporary willingness to put up with, with, with something you don't like. The word patience here is the word endurance. The word endurance How many of you have ever run in a race? Anybody here ever run in a race of any kind? Of any kind? Is that all? You're just not going to admit it? What's going on here? How many of you have run in a race? Well, there there is a sprint. A sprint is you just get a short distance and you just put on the gas and whoever gets there first. But how many of you know what a marathon is? The marathon is many miles and many difficult things. And in order to get to the marathon, you have to have endurance, continuing strength, endurance, endurance, strength, it calls for. You have need of endurance, okay? After that, you've done the will of God that you might receive, receive. It's a sense of get back to yourselves, obtain, receive back. The promise, what is promised. Yet a little while he that shall come will come. And here he emphasizes the fact that what looks to them like a long period of time is a little bit of time. The word little here means micron. Anybody know what a micrometer is? You measure the width of a hair with a micrometer. You measure very small measurements with a micrometer. He says, very little while. And wow, now, now how many of you enjoy suffering? And when you're suffering, it seems like a long time. Yes or no? Suffering and difficulty, and the time never seems shorter. When you're having a good time, the time seems short. When you're having a hard time, the time seems long. Okay, so now we've got a time element here. And when when we get to Hebrews 11, wow, the time element there. Okay, the time element there is something else. A little while, he that shall come will come. The just will live by faith, and that is the word confidence. Shall live by faith if any man draws back. And here it means you lower the sails. 
Anybody here done any sailing on a, on a sailboat? One, two, three, four, anybody? Five. What do you have to have if you want the boat to move? You put the sail up. What happens if you take the sail down? Forgive, forgive my English. You ain't going nowhere. You ain't going nowhere if that sail comes down. He said, we are not, in verse 39, of those who lower the sails. They trim the sails. They draw back into perdition, which is a total loss. You lose everything when you give up. But we are them who believe to the saving of the soul. And the word saving there is not the word for salvation. It's not sozo. It's a different Greek word, and it means to secure to secure your life. And what he says, the issue here is this. Now listen, listen. God has given us our life for ministry. Yes or no? He's given us 100% of our life for ministry. And what happens if we lower our sails? We lose our whole life in the process. We lose our whole life in the process. And this is a whole other sermon. But we lose everything. And he says, now this is the danger. This is what you're facing. You're facing a need for endurance. This is on the long haul, living your life and your ministry on the long haul without letting adversity stop you. So he comes to chapter number 11, and then he defines faith, which is confidence in God and God's word. And the word faith occurs time and time again in the in, in the in the uh, in the. 11th chapter, as does also the word promise. The word promise occurs seven times in in chapter 11. And the word faith, 26 times in this particular chapter. And he tells us that faith is that which brings into reality things for which you hope. And it is a conviction that is a, a firm, solid conviction that cannot be shaken concerning things that you cannot see. And then he tells them that everything that they have has come from that which cannot be seen. Circumstances have not ever given you anything. Verse 3, one of my favorite verses in all the Word of God. Let's look at it quickly. Through faith, we, um, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. He is, telling, he is telling them this. Through faith, we grasp with our minds, literally. Through faith, we grasp with our minds. We're thinking about this now. How in the world did I get where I am today? Well, my whole life was conceived in the heart and mind of God. That's totally unseen. Through faith, we comprehend with our mind that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And the word worlds here is ages. It's the, world, it's the word ages. What he's telling them is that they are living in a period of history. It's called an age. It's ordained by God for divine purpose. These ages, these periods of human history, were literally framed, and the word framed means equipped and outfitted by the word of God. You send the special ops forces but they are fully equipped. They don't go by themselves. They have all of the equipment that they need. They carry it with them, whether it's food, whether it's weaponry, doesn't matter what it is. 
They are equipped for special purpose. And what, 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 what the writer is saying here is, listen, in the age in which you are now living, it's not the same as Pentecost age. You're in another, you're in another age now. Every age is a period of history that is worked out by the plans and the purposes of God. And your life is in the right age, in the right place, and in the right time to accomplish divine purpose. You're not there by accident. And you need to understand that just like the men whose names we are going to list here, they appeared at a certain particular time in human history to accomplish a certain particular divine purpose, such as Noah and Abraham and Moses. We can go down through the list. They all occurred at a different time in human history for a different purpose. They were at the right time in the right place for divine purpose. And that age in which they lived, take the, all the extremities of the circumstances of Joseph or Moses, everything in that age was fully divinely equipped to accomplish everything God wanted to do in their lives. You get that picture? And you and I, as we're in USA, in this year of United States history, you and I are in the right place and the right time. And God will give us by His Holy Spirit everything we need at the Hamilton Square Baptist Church to accomplish divine purposes. And it doesn't care how many windows get broken. It doesn't matter what happens to the property. It doesn't matter what happens to us. God is God. And he equips the age in which we live to accomplish his purposes. He puts us in the middle of it and he gives us of his Holy Spirit in order to accomplish his divine purpose. Is that good or is that good? Now don't, 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 listen, as we go on in this ministry, don't let anything cause you to bring your sails down. Don't back off. Are you hearing me? Don't be intimidated by difficulties. Are you hearing me? Don't be intimidated by reversals. Are you hearing me? We grasp with our minds that the ages were framed and outfitted. How? By the word of God. And what is the result in the lives of these men? Can you find anything in the life of Noah that can account for his success in building a boat like he did. There's nothing. Things that appear, they are visible, were not made out of things that are tangible. We are not going to build this church in the years to come by things that are tangible. We are going to build this work on the word and promises of God. That's the only way it will be built. The only way that it will be built. No other way can this take place. And so we go. This is amazing. I don't want the beans to burn downstairs, but I have to spend a little more time with you on this text. I have to do that. Deborah, if you're listening to me, let the macaroni stay a little bit. <laughs> now look, let's take a look. Let, let's just pick two or three of these guys, okay? Take Noah. Noah <clears throat> had 120 years to build an ark. He was a preacher of righteousness. He had not one convert. The only people who got saved were his family. Not one convert. Would you have him on your mission board? Noah walked with God. The world was filled with violence. 
It was dangerous. One of the amazing things of Noah is that they didn't kill him. You read the text of the, of, of the, of the culture in which he lived. The earth literally was filled with violence. Our problem in America is not guns, it's violence. It's violence. The earth was filled with violence. And so here you have Noah. 120 years to build an ark. This thing is never going to get finished. And to our knowledge, it never rained before the flood. A mist would come up and water the ground. To our knowledge, there was no rain. The guy was a scientific lunatic. No rain. No rain. For 120 years, he builds his boat. Then God brings the animals miraculously into the ark. And let me ask you a question. Was, was Noah a fool or was he a wise man? Endurance. My question is, how in the world did Noah hold out? You may be in circumstances serving God and you say, just how in the world am I going to hold out? I am not seeing any results. I keep working faithfully. I don't have any Pentecost experience in my life. Remember, and don't put your sails down. Abraham, he is an amazing man to me. Called from, a, from, from, from the world's, probably the apex of the world's civilization at that time. Any, anybody here know anything about math? They were in cube root math in Abraham's civilization in Ur. Two-story houses and someone with lavatories. In advanced civilization, this business of everything was Stone Age back then is a lie. He left that to go where? Some real estate he'd never seen. He didn't know where it was. He had no idea what he was going to find when he got there. And he went on a, the lark of a promise. A promise. I'm going to take you, Abraham. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. From your offspring, the world is going to be saved. Many nations are going to be blessed. Kings of the earth are going to come from your loins. So we're at 75 years in the promised land, and he doesn't even have a son. And what's he doing for 75 years? He's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting. Faith is that which puts reality foundational to that for which we hope. He had fastened his heart and mind on the promises of God. So at 100 years of age, he has a son. At 175 years of age, this whole promise, I'm going to give you everything from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, and you're going to have many nations. And he's got, when he dies, at 175 years of age, he's got two things. He's got one boy, and he's got his burial plot, the cave of Machpelah. Could you do that? How significant historically was Noah? How significant historically was Abraham? Oh, you say, I'm nobody and I'm not accomplishing anything for God. You better hold on for just a minute. What happens to your life doesn't depend on the circumstances of your life. It depends on what God has chosen in his plan and purposes to do with it. Abraham. And today... Though Abraham saw nothing today, millions of people on this Lord's day, having believed in the Messiah that came out of the loins of Abraham, through the nation of Israel that came out of the loins of Abraham, millions of people today are sitting, we among them, with our feet under Abraham's table, enjoying the blessings 
of the faith of a man that had nothing to show for the promises of God. Wow. What a chapter. We come to David. You're going to be the king. Seven years being hunted like a wild animal. Horrible experience. My strength has failed. My flesh is dried up. The flow of my tears is all gone. Help, Lord! And out of seven years of extreme distress and hardship came the comfort of Israel in the Psalms. And we read them and we are blessed. Was David a fool? Can you trust God with your life? Can you trust God with your life? Wow. Now, some of these people, this, this, is, this is quite a, uh, this is quite a uh, what do I want to say, mystery? Because when you get to the second half of this chapter, you have num- numbers of people who were literally sawed into, dragged through the streets, beheaded, killed with a sword, and their lives were totally shortened. And what about the age of their lives? What about God's time and plan and purpose in the circumstances of their lives? Were they foolish to die? Were they? And we read in the historical books that the blood of the martyrs is that which gives growth to the church. We have a Bible today because men died at the stake. Was that a good investment? Was that a profitable investment? Yes or no? So, let's see what we can do to wrap this up if we can. Okay? Verse number 13. I read this one day and it jumped out of the page. And it just hit me over the head. How many of you believe that God keeps his promises? Does God keep his promises? Does God ever fail to keep his promises? All right. Now, I want you to explain this verse to me. All right. Number 13. Are you all there? Are you looking at it? All right. Help me. These all what? Died in. All right. What's the next word? Not having received the promises. How many times have you read that? Not having received the promises. How much did Abraham see in his own lifetime? Almost nothing. How many of the promises to Abraham were fulfilled? How many? All of them were. Yes, all of them were. But Abraham, he was on the short end of the stick. And it tells how he kept going. He saw them from afar, and by faith he was able to visualize what God was going to do. And that's the following verses there. But go down toward the end of the page, in verse number 39. And we have the the explanation here, in verse number 39. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promises. Now, how many of these listed above in that chapter received all the promises? Not one. These all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not. Read that carefully. That says none of these received the promise. Now, in verse 40 is the explanation. God having provided something, some better thing for, for whom? Who's us? Who's us? Are you one of these us? Are you one of these us's? All right. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. And the word perfect there means complete or fulfilled. Complete or fulfilled. Now are you awake? Because the application is very important. The promises of God. Oh boy, 
I want to make you get up and do some jumping jacks now. Shake your head. Are you awake? Are you alive? Okay. All right. You, you, need, you, need, you need to get this now. The promises of God to Abraham were too great, too momentous to be fulfilled in one lifetime. They could not be fulfilled in one lifetime. They were too much. They were too much. Now, they were all fulfilled, but they are still being fulfilled. How many generations since Abraham? And I want to ask you a question. You've gone back to Abraham 10 years before his death, said, Abraham, now you're, you're serving this God, you've got all these promises. Where are the promises? And Abraham said, they're all hidden in the heart of God in heaven. That's, they're all hidden up there in God's heart and mind. It's not necessary for me to see them. Listen to me, listen to me. All genuine ministry is multi-generational. You are not ministering in this place and in this time for this generation only. We are here because of the ministry of generations before us. Hundred and how many years? Hundred forty-some years of generations before us ministered. And we are sitting with our feet under their table. They ministered to us and they had no idea what was going to happen with what they were doing when seven people met in a living room in the year 1881 with Captain Schroeder. And as you serve God in this church and in your home and in your community, you have no idea what you are doing. You, it, it doesn't depend. You, you may, how much did Abraham see? Nothing much. What does that mean? It means nothing. It means nothing. You are not who you think you are. You are not limited to, to, the, to the greatness that you ascribe to yourself. Abraham doesn't look great at the end of his life, does he? 4,000 years later, he's look, he really looks great. Your life, the ministry of your life will go on for generation to generation to generation to generation. You have no earthly idea what's going to happen with your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and generations to come that are touched by your life. Are you getting this? And that is why we're a fundamentalist church, because we've got to do it right if we're going to pass it on to the next generation. We can't just throw it all away for, for present result. Results are not what we're after. It's the blessing of God and the purpose and the plan of God in history that we are after. And every individual here every individual here without exception hear me hear me hear me I'm like oh I'm, I'm, I'll bust your eardrums but hear me everybody here every life here without exception is of historic consequence and it's not what you see it's not what you hear it's not what you feel it's not what you get it's divine plan and purpose and the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our minds. We've got work to do for God. And, and, and the results of what we do are not our business. They are God's business. Did you hear me? It's not our business to fill the pews up to make us look nice. It's our business 
to reach the world as much as we can. We might, might, some of us might be like, no, we won't get one convert, but let's, do, let's be preachers of righteousness anyway. We witness not because of the results, but because God wants it done. It's the need of our day and age. We serve God in this place not because we see great things happening, but because that's what God wants done. God wants ministry done. God's called every one of us to ministry. Downtown San Francisco needs ministry. Daly City needs ministry. Out in the avenues needs ministry. Ministry everywhere we go. The results are God's business. God has not called us to get results. God's called us to do his will and his work and to fulfill his plan and his purpose for the age, the historical period of time and place where we are living. Let's bow for prayer. Let's bow for prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Life can get very discouraging. Boy, I'll tell you, you read through Hebrews 11, their need was need for endurance. How, how do you continue and continue and continue? But fill your heart and mind. Dear Christian, daily fill your heart and mind with God's word. That's what will keep you going. That will sustain you. You can't endure on your own. You endure on things from God in your personal life. Feast on God's word. Be strong. This is a marathon. Spiritually, it's a marathon. If you try to do a marathon physically and you don't eat for a week, you're not going to make it. Nurture yourself in prayer and in God's word. Not as an obligation, but as an enormous privilege to enjoy God and his provisions in your life. If you have special needs, talk to him right now. Ask for what you need. Ask for what you need. Don't be intimidated by your battle for sin. Don't, don't be intimidated by your battle, other battles you're having in your life. Don't be intimidated by them. You have need of endurance so that after you have run the race, you'll receive what's promised. It's endurance we need these days. It's character, it's strength of character and a will determined that God shall be glorified regardless of what happens. Heavenly Father, bless your people. May everyone here recognize divine ownership on his life. May all of us embrace the will and the plan and the ways and the works of God fully for our lives, regardless of where that might lead us, regardless of what the cost might be. Encourage our hearts. Strengthen us, we pray. Oh God, is there somebody here today who doesn't know the Lord Jesus? They need to be saved. They need to know you and they can't know you if they don't receive the Lord Jesus. And may they do so in this very hour. May they turn their hearts and minds toward you and cry out, Lord Jesus, save me today. Bring me to God. Forgive my sins. Give me life eternal. I receive you and welcome you as Lord and Savior of my life. Come into my life and save me. God, I pray, do that. Be there someone here that knows not the Savior. We praise you for your great love. We praise you that you are Lord of heaven and earth. We praise you that you are a sovereign God. And that when it's all said and done, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And all of these issues of life are going to be resolved on your terms. God, give us strength, help, blessing, and a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit today 
We pray it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. And amen. I've kept you too long. I've kept you too long. It takes tremendous love to persist. Love doesn't end and quit. And our love for God needs to be strong in these days.